First, this. God created the heavens and the earth, all you see and all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless uh, emptiness, an inky blackness, and God's spirit brooded like a bird above the wintry, watery abyss. And then God spoke, light. And light appeared, and God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. And God named the light day, and he named the dark night. And it was evening, and it was morning, day one. And God spoke sky. In the middle of the water, separate water from water. God made sky. He separated the water under the sky from the water above the sky. And there it was. He named sky the heavens, and it was evening, and it was morning, day two. So God spoke separate. Water beneath heaven gather into one place, and land appear. And there it was. God named the land earth, and he named the pooled water ocean, and God saw it was good. So God spoke, earth, green up, grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree. And there it was. Earth produced green seed-bearing plants, all varieties, and fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. And God saw it was good. It was evening. It was morning, day three. So God spoke, lights, come out. Shine in the heavens, separate day from night, and mark seasons and days and years, and lights in heaven, sky, to give light to earth. And there it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of the day, the smaller to take charge of the night. And he made the stars, and God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up earth and oversee day and night, to separate light and dark. And God saw that it was good. It was evening. It was morning. Day four. So God spoke swarm ocean with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God created the huge whales and all the swarms of life in the waters and every kind and species of flying birds. And God saw that it was good. Day five. God spoke, earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds. And there it was, wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug. And God saw that it was good. And God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. So they can be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And every animal that moves in the face of the earth, God created human beings. He created them God-like and reflecting God's nature. And he created them male and female and blessed them. And he said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that makes and moves on the face of the earth. And then God said, I have given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, and I give them to you for food. To all the animals and all the birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. And God looked over everything he had made, and it was good. So very good. And it was evening, and it was morning. Day six. Heaven and earth were finished down to the last 
detail. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He made it a holy day because on that day, he rested from his work. All the creating God had done. This is the story how it all started of heaven and earth when they were created. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the ways in which you move in this world. Lord, as we turn our hearts towards you, help us to remove ourselves from the ways in which we often build the world around our own selves and recognize that you've created a world for us to care for, that you've placed us in a place of responsibility and invited us to partake in your never-ending creative work here in this world. We give you thanks in your name. Amen. If I haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central City Church. And friends, we are in the midst of a paradigm shift. COVID has forever changed uh, how we interact with the world. Uh, and, and, and I think there's some things we can learn about that. Um, my prayer uh, is that that the, what we've learned about COVID changing our lives and the paradigm shift, that we can apply that even to race relations in America. And we can see a similar paradigm shift. If nothing else, we've learned this, and maybe we can apply what we've learned from one to the other. Two things have become painfully true. The first one is this. Change is hard. <laughs> Learning to live differently is exhausting, um, disorienting, and it exposes all of our weaknesses. The second thing we've learned, I, I hope we've learned, is that change is possible. That we can change. That the world can change. That we can learn to live differently. What a powerful lesson uh, available to us right now. And I, I hope you see its significance. I say that to say this. If, if there was ever a day for a fresh start, it's now. I mean, we can leverage the change that has been forced on us to reimagine the world that God has given us, to think about our faith and our life and our patterns differently. We can start over. We can start again. We can recreate. We, we don't have to be the same. Sure, it'll be painful and chaotic, but change is possible. But if we capture a vision of what could be possible, if we could strip away all the things that we've built up around us that drain more than empower, then maybe I think we could get one step closer to the world God intended. This is why we thought we'd go back to the first beginning. As we kind of imagine what it means to begin again, let's go back to the book of beginnings. That's what the Titus title of Genesis means, book of beginnings. Let's today go back and restart our journey by going back to the original journey. And so over the coming weeks, we're going to walk through this book of beginnings. We'll take breaks occasionally as we do some spinoff series. We're going to do a relationship series in July. Uh, but otherwise, over the next uh, foreseeable future, as we move into the fall, we're going to be walking through the book of Genesis. And my hope is, is that as we do this, it'll be one less thing that changes. It'll be one thing that you can know is going to be consistent, that, that we'll pick up where we left off the week before. The Genesis account um, is one of the pictures, it's really this picture of this artist who paints this beautiful picture, a picture we call the world. 
It's, it's a story of a singer who sings that things into existence. Uh, I, I love the, the rendition of the creation story. It's found in one of C.S. Lewis novels where it's kind of sung into existence. But it's even more than an artist. It's uh, this God, this picture of God in Genesis is detail-oriented. God is filling and separating. God is ordering life. God is taking the raw materials, or as Eugene Peterson said in his transliteration of Genesis, which I read for you, he takes a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness, and God is putting the pieces together, filling them up. And so it's a story of a programmer who's working behind the scenes, ordering all of the details and making something. Work. It's, a, it's a worker who uh, gets up, every day, and somehow accomplishes exactly what they hope to accomplish each day. I feel like we've all been striving for the Genesis account in our lives ever since, where we could actually wake up and for a whole week accomplish exactly what we wanted to accomplish that day. It's a, it's a kind of week that we've never been able to match in creativity and productiveness and intentionality. You know, the ancient Israelites, uh, they weren't the first to write up a description or a, a story about how all this started. There are countless other creation accounts and uh, primal uh, religions and, and thoughts. And many of the other uh, accounts, they depict the world and even human beings as a, not an intention of the gods, but almost like a byproduct. Uh, the, you know, there's a whole host of gods. One of the things that Judaism brought to the world was this idea that maybe there's just one. There's a whole host of gods with different agendas, and they're all kind of engaged in this big God-divine drama. And creation was kind of like an accidental byproduct of this great divine drama of the gods. And, and even some would view it as a mistake and maybe disappointed in creation. Or, or maybe creation was just something to manipulate or something to play tricks with or to play with. But this is how maybe other creation accounts are told. That's not how this one is. This story is about a God who is the source of all life, of all the world's beauty and order. And it's a story about a God who creates on purpose. It's as intentional as having a checklist and, you know, working through the checklist items. Seas, check. Animals, check. Light, check. Stars, check. God was so intentional in this story that, that at the end, God took a day off. There's nothing more intentional about the creation story than God at the end of the week looking back and saying, you know, I've accomplished exactly what I wanted to accomplish this week. And I wonder if that isn't the bigger point about Genesis. Maybe this story is less about how the world was created and more about who is this God that created it? And what is God's intent in creating it? If that's the question, not, not how, but, but who and what, if that's the question we're asking, the answer is simple. This God is intentional. This God is creative, brilliant, building systems to sustain life. And God created this world on purpose. And God said it was good, repeatedly so. So let me just say this, without adding anything else to the list, nothing to say of times and dates, that that list alone is a rather bold claim for the Bible to make. I want to sit with that for a second. I want to challenge it, um, and I want to wrestle with it. I want to poke at it a little bit, uh, not to destroy it, but to better understand its significance. Genesis tells us that God made this uh, world on purpose. Uh, for a purpose, that God made it on purpose, that God made us, uh, humans, on purpose, and that we were created for a purpose, and, and a good 
purpose, the Bible says. So, so hold on to that for a second. Uh, and, and I want to ask you this. Forgetting all um, you already assume, is that what you would have guessed? Would you have guessed that the world was created on purpose? I mean, if you didn't read it here, throw out everything you know about God or the Bible and just, you know, look around, look at the, the world. When you see the chaos and the injustice, would that have been your guess? When, when you fight with your spouse or struggle with your children, when you fail to get things done that you know you need to get done, when you lose your job, when you see violence, uh, one person against another, when you look at American history of race relations, when you look at the, tear of, uh, the, the trail of tears or the, the environmental crisis or you fill in the blank, when you wonder if there's anything I can do to make any of this any better, would you then guess that, yeah, this was all done on purpose? If all you had was this world as evidence, would you look at it and say, yeah, someone created this and they thought it was a really good idea. Now, uh, don't get mad at me uh, for forcing this question upon you. The Bible asks this very same question. It asks it in the laments. It asks it in the book of Job. It asks it in Ecclesiastes. It's, it asks it at other places. The Bible asks this type of hard question. Um, and so I suggest that it's worth asking. And it's not until we ask it can we really understand just how radical the message of Genesis is. So my question is, would you assume naturally that someone thought all of this was a good idea? And at least at some point in your life, the answer is going to be no. You might assume someone was behind it, but certainly not someone with good intentions. To truly appreciate the Genesis account, uh, we have to receive it as if we're receiving it for the first time, as if we're receiving it in a world that up to this point, when it was written, it was assumed that this was all some big mistake. And the gods were angry about it. The gods were angry about, at us. And the gods were angry at us all the time. And in that world, we open up the first chapter of the Bible and the words leap off the page and paint a picture of a God who, knowing all that would happen, knowing... knowing all that would happen, who knows, even what happened today and yesterday and the day before, created this world on purpose. And God looked at each stage, each category, each day, and said, yeah, I like it. That was good. Even to the point of saying, that was very good. Even though it's not always good anymore. We'll get to the story in a couple of weeks where it turns uh, from only good and becomes broken, what the church calls the fall. We aren't to that point in the story yet, but God knew that that was where it was headed. And God still looked at creation and said, this is a good idea, which is another way of saying, I like where this is headed. You do, God? I want you to feel this. I don't want to gloss over it. Genesis 1 is revolutionary. The world we see doesn't seem to be the world God had in mind and that's the point. Here's how it works. God could have created the world with a simple snap of the fingers. The, the idea is that God is uh, omni-everything. That's what makes God God and us not God. It's God is all-powerful, all-knowing. Um, if God can't do that, if God can't do just anything, then I don't see the point in really even believing in God. So God could have just sort of created the world in, in even a split second. But Genesis tells us of a God who does things in stages, slowly, 
over time. A little this day, okay, that was enough for today, and a little more the next day, and then eventually takes time to even say it's good and to rest. And I've been thinking a lot about how God rests at the end, and I think it's significant. Resting here in the creation story isn't the same thing as quitting. It's not the same thing as saying that God was done. Resting, I think in some ways, uh, that says that God was done for now, but there's actually more work to be done. Right? That's why we rest, um, because we've finished what we can do this week, and now we've got more week ne- work next week. And so God doesn't really say it is finished in the creation story. Jesus said that on the cross. He, Jesus says, it is finished. And, and I think our theological imagination can draw all kinds of conclusions from that powerful statement. But the creation narrative doesn't really say that. It doesn't say that it is finished. God, God finishes, and he, in fact, he says, hey, humans, now it's your turn to get to work. Let's do this together. Genesis 1 paints this picture of a God who intentionally engages a process and one that will continue well beyond Genesis 1. Reflecting on this, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, which we're a part of, declared that the creator could have made his work perfect at first, but by this gradual proceeding, he would uh, show, or he wrote this a while ago when they said shoe, I don't know. He would show what is ordinarily the method of his providence and grace. That in the creation narrative, we get a picture of who this God is. And in this picture, it's God is still working. And this is big. I've always read Genesis 1 as a story about how God created the world to be perfect, and we've kind of messed it up since. Um, And that's true, but that's not the whole story. God didn't create the world perfect, not in the sense that perfect means often in the Bible. Perfect in the Bible often doesn't mean um, holy or moral. It means complete. God didn't create the first creation story in Genesis 1 as being complete. God started it and invited the rest of creation, most especially us, humans, into that process, knowing all along that we, you know, kind of mess it up. Now, why would God do that? Well, for the same reason a parent invites their young child to do something similar. It's, if I invite Finn to help me with something, it's not because Finn's going to be helpful. I'll just be completely honest with you. It's, he's not, it's going to make my life a lot harder, and it's going to make accomplishing things a lot harder. I invite Finn to help me make dinner because I want to spend that time with Finn. And, and I do want him to learn stuff, but I don't think that's even my ultimate goal. I mean, yeah, I want him to learn stuff, but I, I want this relationship, and relationship formed through shared participation. And so God invites humans to participate in creation, knowing that it's going to mess some things up, and it's going to take a lot longer for it to get where he wants it to go. But God wants to spend time with us. When we look at the world and wonder how anyone can call it good, I want you to remember this. I don't think God said creation was good because of what it was in that moment. I think God said it was good because of what it could be. It's good because of what God plans to do with it, because of what was possible. Think of it like this. One chapter in the Bible tells us about the creation of the world. Genesis 1, and then it spills over into Genesis 2. So basically, one chapter tells us about the creation of the world. Another 1,188 chapters in the Bible tell us how God tries to partner with humans to make something out of it. This is both a testimony to the stubbornness of humanity and how patient God is and how much God desires to work with us and in us. Someone doesn't spend that kind of 
energy working on something if it's not worth it. So God saw the world and said it was good. He saw humans, the same humans would ruin everything, humans that just oftentimes don't get it right. And, and he says that they're good too. In other words, this world is worth it. It's not perfect, but it's worth it. And those humans, they're worth it too, which is another way of saying you're worth it. You are good, not in that you are perfect or complete or even holy. But you are good because you have God-created potential. Your worth outside of how you perform in God isn't done yet. As we kick off this series of beginnings, I, I want to I ruin the story for you. Um, not ruin per se. I want to show you where it's all headed. It's a classic storytelling trick. Movies or books will do it. They'll show you the end, and then they'll spend the rest of the movie showing you how they got there. And I want to do that with the, with, with the biblical story. Uh, so spoiler alert, uh, here's where it's headed. Um, I want to jump to the last book of the Bible, uh, book of Revelation chapter 21. In this book, John receives a vision of what's going to come. And, and before we get there, though, I, I want to just take a second. It's been the Christian assumption, and you'll see this in a lot of places, the Christian assumption is that where it is headed is that uh, earth is headed to hell in a handbasket, and uh, we just got to wait for God to get us out of here. Uh, this is uh, theology around the rapture, around our understanding of heaven. It's like, okay, eventually, someday, uh, God is going to uh, uh, show up and take us home. And this isn't our home. Earth is, uh, you know, earth just needs to be thrown away, and we're going to end up in heaven. And heaven has become this picture, this destination of where we're all headed. Um, it's not what the Bible teaches, though. So look, let's look at Revelations. It says this. He sees this vision. John sees this vision in Revelation, and, and we get to see how the story ends. It says this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelations 21, 1 through 3. He pictures heaven. And he, and he doesn't picture everyone going to heaven. He pictures heaven coming to earth. Do you hear this? The story doesn't end with people headed to heaven. It ends, it ends like maybe people do go to heaven. We read about paradise that, and Jesus promises the thief. But, but he says it ends with heaven kind of descending on earth. It ends with heaven coming to earth. That, that, that should tell you everything you need to know about how God feels about what this world has to offer and the potential that it has. Do you want to know God's plans for this world? He created it. He said it was good. And then over the rest of the Bible, a lot of crap happens that makes us think maybe the world isn't so good. But eventually we get a glimpse of this future world. And in that earth, heaven comes here. Think of it like this. Here's how God views the world. God plans to retire here. That's what this passage says. God plans to retire here. God plans to move in and live with us. According to Scripture, heaven will someday be here. Paradise will descend. Earth will become in heaven. Or as Jesus taught us to pray, God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. In this world, God will make things right. Where John says in the next verse, he says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Which, which implies that things haven't been right, doesn't it? 
If, if God's like, when I come and, and, and we're in this new earth and things are made right, the fact that the first act is that God is wiping tears from our eyes, then that says everything you need to know about how things are going. Not well. He says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or racism or poverty for the order, old order of things has passed away. Playing on this idea of death, you know. There'll be no more death because death has died. He says, not in heaven either. This isn't a picture of heaven, remember? Heaven's come to earth. We've heard this, I've heard this often referred to like, this is what heaven would be like. No, 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 this is like, no, heaven has come to earth. On earth, things will be set right here. Pain will cease. People will be comforted. Tears will wipe away. Uh, There will be hope. And then John continues. He says this. He who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, God is not done creating. That's what's being said here. God is not done creating, that someday God will finish making everything new, that someday all the brokenness will be redeemed, and not just humans, but all of creation. And so Jesus here is sitting on the throne, he's telling us, he's telling us that, and he knows that we're not going to believe it. <laughs> he knows, it's like, no, nah, I don't believe it. Things aren't going to get better. He says, no, 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 write it down. Write it down. It's trustworthy and true. We, we sort of believe uh, in general uh, as people of faith that Scripture is trustworthy, uh, that it's trustworthy. It can lead us to salvation. That there, there's good there. Uh, but, but this is one of the places where we're reminded regarding this simple truth. It's so much so that Jesus is like, hey, write this one down. God is going to make everything new. He says, write it down. In fact, maybe you should. Maybe this week that could be your, uh, your assignment. Write it down. Like, like a kid who's in trouble, who, who's forced to write something a hundred times until he remembers. We write this down a hundred times until it finally sinks in. God is going to make everything new. God isn't done yet. That's the whole point of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Here's how the story ends. Jesus comes, brings new creation inside of us, and then Revelation says that new creation will be true for the entire world. We get to live it right now in some mysterious, mystical sort of way, new creation inside of us, but someday there'll be new creation in the rest of the world, and and the ways in which God is making us new, renewing us, will be the same for everyone else. This is why Jesus says, pray that God's will might be done on earth as in heaven. Did you know that we've prayed that almost every week for probably over a year now because we actually believe it's possible that it's going to happen? All right. So let's assume. Let's assume we believe that. Um, Let's just stay with me long enough to assume it. Maybe you aren't there. That's fine. Just pretend with me. Let's assume that God created this world on purpose and that God's purpose will eventually be realized. It's a big assumption. I think it's really really rather radical and doesn't always line up with my experience. So it's a a step of faith, and it requires a certain amount of faith. And maybe um, uh, you're not there, but before we have faith, we have our imagination. So if you can't believe it, just imagine it. Imagine that it was true. And, and, and if we assume that heaven will come to earth and that one day all will be made right, that the work that has begun in Genesis 1 will grow into its full potential when, as we see in Revelation 21, assuming that, that leaves us with two choices. Two choices, two responses that uh, Christians have uh, lived into. Here's the first one. We can look at creation 
and believe that someday God's going to make it all better. Heaven will come to earth, and we look at that and we say, you know what? God's got it. I know it's going to happen. Don't need to do anything in the meantime. Just wait. Your, your one, one response to this passage is to say, well, it's inevitable. doesn't need any of my help. I'll just sit around and wait for it to happen. And that's one way to think of it. And, friends, that's something that uh, a lot of, that's the default for, uh, I know it's a, it's a Christian way of thinking. Um, it produces a very bad theology, in my opinion, of creation care, of environmentalism, of justice, because it's this belief that's like, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to wait there, God will make all things new, and then, you know, it'll be fine. And all I need to do is get people to heaven in the meantime. That's, that's my one job until that happens. That's one response. Here's the other response. We could look at this story. We could look at this story and say, you know what, one day the world we wish we had now will be a reality. And we could say that we know it's going to happen, which tells us that the work we do right now isn't in vain. We know how it ends. So all of the little things that I do, all of the little injustices that I help the world overcome, the ways in which I participate in bringing God's kingdom here on earth, all of those things that I give my heart and my soul and my blood and my sweat and my tears and it hurts and it's hard and I don't always enjoy it and I give myself over and over and over again and I'm not even sure... But now I know that it's not in vain. As God says in the New Testament, do not grow weary while doing good, for in due time you'll see the fruit of your labor. So which response will be your response? To just wait or to step up and respond to God's call in your life, whatever that is, to get involved in creation. And by creation, I mean creation, this, this world, the, the global citizenship that we share as one people who are citizens of heaven but also as humans who share this planet the ways in which our systems uh, work to to privilege some and disadvantage others the whole the whole creation that that we currently have will you engage in it well maybe the question isn't what you, your response will be let me ask you what your response should be and for that let me remind you what genesis 1 says reading from the message god spoke let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature, and he created them male and female, and God blessed them, and he said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible. Did you know? Did you know you were responsible? Did you know you were responsible for how things turn out? That God has invited us to participate in creation and all of its messiness? In Genesis 1, we're given a vision of a world with God-created, God-given potential. A vision you might not find in the news or even in our personal experience at times. And we're told of a world that God is still working on, that God is still developing. A world that God participated in us, invited us to participate in, knowing that we'd well, make a mess of it. And we're told that we are here on purpose with a job to do. It's right there in chapter 1. God is inviting us to continue the hard work of, the word here is cultivating, digging in the dirt and building something, growing something new out of all of this potential. That's the vision we've been given to this world. And it's a vision we need to start with if we're looking for a fresh start. We, we start by going back to the original intent, a life lived on purpose. This is the foundation of what we do as a church. 
It's the foundation of what I want my life to be about. And in a season where new beginnings are essential, that's the new start we're inviting you into as well. So what will it look like? How will we accomplish it? Uh, what work needs to be done? What is my role in all of it? Those are fantastic questions. They're great questions. I invite you to join us next week as we uh, see how the story continues to reveal itself and answer these questions for us. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we give you thanks. Lord, um, in those moments where life feels chaotic, where we feel like we're not sure the role we're supposed to play, where we're, we're not sure uh, what it means to even participate in redeeming creation, what it, what it means to, to fight for justice, to, to bring heaven to earth. When those moments where we feel lost remind us that in that first story, you, you came into this sort of icky blackness, this, this soup of nothingness, and you made something out of it. That you, you entered into uh, creation as a form of chaos and you, you, you put things in their right place. You created order and, and you filled it and you invite us into that same process now. So help us, Lord. Help us to order ourselves as a community, as a city, as a country for your purposes, for justice, for mercy, for grace, for love. Creator, come and meet us and recreate in us remind us that we are here not by accident but on purpose and that you have a plan for our lives we ask all this in jesus name and all of god's people said